Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Today we're focused on that idea of home. The idea of being welcome at home, the idea of what that looks like in our lives. I kind of like this. I think I'll preach from this more often. This is kind of nice, but I digress. But anyway, this is a... The idea of being home and, and even the idea of sometimes when you're away from home, coming home again, and uh, that's, that's, that's what we want to look at today. As I get started, let me just do something. That I was thinking this week of some phrases that I think you're familiar with, so let me invite you to fill in the blanks, a couple of these phrases. Look, look on the screen. Uh, the first one is home, home, say together, home, sweet home, very good, okay. Now, here's one, maybe, maybe you would fill it in, some people fill this in a little bit differently. Home is where, well, let's look what some other people said. Home is where my bunch of crazies live. Anybody really? Okay, home is where the dog hair sticks to everything but the dog. Anybody really? Okay, or number three, I like this one. Home where you can say anything you want because nobody listens anyway. Anybody? Okay, does that make sense? Okay, or like most of you said, home is where the heart is, right? We, we get that, and, and that kind of, that word kind of means something to us. One, uh, kind of the fill in the break, it, be it ever so humble, there's no place now, like my cousin Dorothy, who's also a fellow Kansan, would say in Clicker Heels, remember that, okay? There's no place like home. There's no place like... We, we want to talk about that today. And, and to do so, I want to take your... I want to call your attention to a passage of Scripture. If you took your connection card or your info card, on the back there's some sermon notes. There'll be some Scripture on the back of that. You'll also see several Scriptures on the screen as we're walking through a, a, an incredible story today that Jesus tells... And in this story, the, the focus is about coming home and about the fact that it's time to come home. And here's the phrase that just kind of grabbed my attention as I was reading through this story again this week. And I think it just kind of, uh, it kind of capsulates everything we're talking about. Verse 18 of chapter 15 of Luke, and if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, we, we have a young man who says this, I will go home to my father. Now, there's a lot in that, and we're also obviously going to get to that, and some of you kind of will recognize the story as we get there. But there's something about that particular phrase that helps us understand. Home is not necessarily a place. Home, your home we put that up on our, on our walls at, at our house, but home is not necessarily a place. He was going home to a relationship. Home is about the connections about the relationships you have it's more than a place in which you hang your hat it is really the the the, the people surrounding that place or the reason that you want to go to that place is because of of the relationships that are there and and so what we're going to talk about today in this story of Jesus which I think a lot of you're going to find familiar I, my guess is no matter whether you've been in church forever or this is one of your first times at some point Every one of us have heard at least bits and pieces of this very familiar story that we're going to look at today. And, and here's the theme that we're going to kind of grab out of this whole story, and we'll start with it and we'll come back to it, and that's this. If you're separated from the Father, it's time to come home. If you find yourself separated from the Father, it's time to come home. That's what this story it, it kind of says in a nutshell, and we're going to look through it, and I, I'm sure you're familiar with it. The, the story is just what I said. It is a story. It's a parable that Jesus tells 
Uh, if you're unfamiliar with that, he told a lot of parables, and the, the goal was they were like real-life things, things that you could really understand, and then you apply them to yourself or apply them to life, right? So he's going to tell this, this parable, this story, and, and then through that to give us some truth. So let me jump right into it. Verse number 11, this is how the story begins. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, which literally means he took what his father gave him the land and everything, and he sold it. He took all that, put it all together. Then he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. All right, let's stop there and talk about that a minute just to make sure you understand. what is This was an unthinkable request. Father, give me a share of the estate. Why that was so unthinkable is the father's still living and as best we can tell, in pretty good health. So essentially what he's saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead or you're not dying fast enough for me. I want what you got and I, want, I think I deserve it. Give it to me now. That was the original J.G. Wentworth, right? It's my money, and I want it now. That's what he said to Dad. It's my stuff, and I want it now. I don't care if that's your livelihood, Dad. I don't care if that's what you're counting on for the rest of your life. I want what's mine, and I want it now. And he, so he asked this just incredible thing. And then he says he goes into a distant country with all that he had, which means he had to sell it. He had to, to get rid of it. And then he takes it. He goes to a distant country. And that's often what happens. The story's kind of, everything's got a little bit of a nuance to it. The distant country as if, if I go far enough away, nobody can find me. I don't have to worry about dad anymore. I can get far enough away that no one can ever, I can just get away from everything. He goes to a distant country. And then, and, and I'm going to, I, this morning, as I tell the, I will walk through this story, just some things to help you. He went with this bag of cash, all right? He goes away with this idea of everything that he has got wrapped up, and he's going to, but look what the Bible says. He said in this place that he took and he spent it, or he squandered his wealth in wild living. A lot of you know this story by the title of the prodigal son, right? How many heard that title for it, okay? Prodigal. Usually when we think of prodigal, we think of it as the means of something wayward, something rebellious. That's that, the prodigal of something, right? The word prodigal by definition means lavish. It means extraordinarily spendthrift. It means taking and wasting or, or giving in an extraordinary fashion to, to take it and get rid of it in that kind of a, a lavish, unrestrained fashion so what we have is a son who took what he had and that's where he would get this name from and he literally just he spent it all he squandered everything i want my happiness i want it now i don't care who it hurts it's all about me and i want what i want and i want to do it now that's basically what he says in a nutshell so let's keep reading if you know the story verse 14 after he had spent everything exhausted all his resources that's what you got to remember is all this stuff is temporary after he'd, he'd spent it all, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and the boy began to be in need. Now think about this. He was in need before, but before when he's in need, he could ask dad. Now, hey, you're on your own, dude. You're far away. You don't want dad to have anything to do with you. He's in his far country. He's in need, verse 15. So he does what, uh, what any... Well, anyway, he tried to make money. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him in his fields to feed pigs. Okay, I had to, get a, I had to ask somebody if we have a pig because you've got you to picture this, okay? Beside, 
What are you laughing at? That one becomes very significant. Okay, he goes to feed pigs, but look at the next phrase. Not only did he go to feed pigs, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Okay, so you picture the boy. All of you are familiar with the story. He goes, he spends everything. I mean, the, the, the money is gone. Famine comes, trouble comes. And now he comes to the place where he's got some choices to make. Listen, I know what, what, what I had before, but dude, I am, now this is where pride kicks in. I'm not going to admit that I was wrong. I'm not going I'm, I'm to go back and, and say that I made a mistake. That would be ridiculous. So I'll just do what I ta- can to exist to the point where he's feeding pigs. Now, let's be honest. I have nothing personally against pigs. In fact, we're going to eat a bunch of it when this service is over right next door. We're going to take little Pinky here. We're going to devour him, all right? I, how many bacon fans? You know, I have no problem with pig, but understand the culture is written in. No good-respecting Jewish boy has anything to do with pigs. All right, he's away, and how low will you really go? He will go to where he'll feed the one thing, the, one of the big things, the unclean animal. But not only that, he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. He was so hungry, he feigned wanting to eat what they were He would eat pig slop, but no one would give him any. How low will you go when you, until you realize that it's not worth it? I tried it. The happiness was not what I expected it to be. That's what the boy's finding out. That's what Jesus is trying to get. Now his, he, this thing kicks in. I'm not admitting I need help. Do, do you understand that everybody who's listening to this story could relate almost immediately? Because at some point, all of us have done pig things. I didn't say pig-headed, although that would work right? We've all done pig things. We get to the point where we make a mistake and then we don't want to admit it. We don't, we're just going to, we're just going to bully our way through it, right? How low are we willing to go? That's what everybody in that room's going, yep, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, right? That's what he's saying. But the story doesn't stop. Verse 17, when the boy came to his senses, here's a turning point in the story. He woke up and smelled the coffee, right? He realized that there was something better than this. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father. I will go home to my father. That's the verse we just read. I, I, it's time for me to come home. I realize where I'm at, and it's time for me to go home. He'll, he said, and I will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. Now, that's harsh. But it's real. He wasn't going to say, try to make excuses, blame, or say, I just was having a bad day. He said, dude, I sinned. And dad, I'm not afraid to admit it. Against you, I've sinned. He said, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now think about how drastic a change this. This is what the Bible would refer to as the word repentance. This is not just saying, oops, I made a mistake. He's saying, I sinned, I messed up, and I don't deserve any kind of forgiveness. I'm just throwing myself on the mercy of dad here because I don't deserve anything. He said, when he started this this in verse number 12, he said, dad, give me. I deserve this. This is what, now he's saying, dad, just make me a servant. I'll do whatever you want. See the flip, the flip in the attitude? It's totally different now that things, now that he's come to his senses, he realized I don't deserve anything, but I'm starving here. If if dad doesn't come to the rescue, I, I have no one else. And so he said he got up and he went back to his father. Now here we have a, we have a suitcase kind of symbolizing this going back. Do you realize he didn't have one of these? He didn't have anything. 
He barely had the clothes on his back, but we're, we get the idea is he comes to his senses and says, I'm going back home to dad. Remember what we said, when you find yourself separated from the father, it's time to come home. And that's what the boy realized. Dad's there, I'm here, and here is not so good. It's time to go home. It's time to, for something to change. So let's, let's just picture him walking home. He doesn't have any of this anymore. Probably doesn't have one of these. He's walking home, and, and I'm guaranteed he's rehearsing that speech in his head. Okay, Dad, I sinned against you. I don't do it. And he's rehearsing over and over. But now think about what he's going through his mind. What's Dad going to say when he sees me? Didn't leave on the best of terms. Kind of told Dad, I wish he was dead. Not the best thing to say to your pops when you leave, right? Took all the money, wasted it. Dad's going to be so mad. Dad's going to be so disappointed. Dad's going to be so, uh, do you realize culturally, were, were this a true story and this wasn't just a parable? According to the law, he could be killed for his actions with his dad. They had capital punishment for those kind of reactions to father. He didn't know what dad was going to say when he got back. The, the people could have stoned him on his way up to the driveway because the community knew what he did to his father. All of these things are running through his head. That's, and this is where this story takes this exciting, dramatic turn, right? So although we know, here's what's crazy. In this story, most of us know this story. In fact, uh, I was reading, I thought it was interesting. My Bible has it divided into sections. Most people refer to this story as the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. That's what my Bible says. But do you understand, the son is really not the main character in this story. He's the one that gets the, the billing because most of us have been there probably, so we kind of understand it. The main character, the hero in this story is the father. And the reason the father becomes the, the, the hero in this story is in the way that he refers and he, what he does to his son. You want to talk about, we, talk, that we define the word prodigal as lavish or extravagant. The truth is you could name this story the story of the prodigal father. The story of the lavish, extravagant, over-the-top giving father, because that's exactly what happens. Read what verse 20. Here's what he happens when he comes home. While he was still, the boy, a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Okay, what just happened here? This son has been a jerk to his dad, took all the money, squandered it, now decides, you know what, I'm hungry. Let's go back to dad and see if he'll take care of me. But he's a long way off, and those are significant words. The father saw him. If you've seen this story before, what does that mean? If the father saw him a long way off, it means he was looking for him. It means he, there was an active looking for his son. He was just praying daily that my son would come home. He was looking for him, and that's how he saw him from a long way off because he had, in his mind he was hoping. I, I can remember as a kid, my brother, I, I love my brother, and he was about 10, 11 years older than me, and when he'd come home from college, mom and dad let me sit on the porch and, and just wait for him, and I would. I'd spend hours. There's a little chair on the porch, and i just wait for him. I didn't. Time was kind of weird to me, right? I didn't realize it's going to be six hours that he did. So I'm just, Mike's coming home. Yay, I'm sitting on the porch. So then, you know, as a movie and six hours later, right? And I, I'm still sitting on the porch. And, but, but then I can see the cars, and he had glass packs. Remember what glass packs were on your car? You could hear him coming from about four miles away, right? I'm going, here comes Mike, dude. I'm, and I'm watching. He's coming down. The, that's what, I, every time I see this story, this dad was saw him from afar off, which means he was anticipating, he was waiting, he was wanting, he was watching for him to come. And then keep looking what he said. He was filled with 
anger. He was filled with disappointment. He was, is that what it says? It says he was filled with what? Compassion. That, that word literally means his, in, his, his organs were moving. Now, that's not weird. What that means is, have you ever been so excited your stomach flips or you get, you get butterflies because that's what, he was moved from the inside out. He said, here comes my boy. He's coming home. And then the, last, the next one, and he ran to his son. Now, we don't know how old he was, but he was probably old enough that running was not his, his first thing anymore. We all understand that. We also know that they wore robes, so running was a little bit awkward, okay? Just think about it, okay, yeah, all the way down. But not for nothing, in that Jewish culture, men of respect and distinction didn't run. That was a sign of foolishness. Men running was a sign of you're, you're, not, you're, you're not respectable. Here's what the dad does. He doesn't stand there tapping his foot going, well, it's about time. I told you this wasn't going to work. See, I knew you'd be back. That's not the image we have. We have a father looking for his son, sees him coming, hikes up his robe, and takes off running to meet his son at the end of the lane. If you've ever heard me talk on this before, I guarantee you've probably heard me quote this particular Christian song. It's written back in the, the late 80s. But I just never, here's the picture that's painted. The song is called When God Ran. Listen to these words. The only time I ever saw God run was when he ran to me. He took me in his arms. He held my head to his chest and he said, my sons come home again. He lifted my face. He wiped the tears from my eyes. And with forgiveness in his voice, he said, son, you know I still love you. He caught me by surprise and he brought me to my knees. When God ran, I saw him run to me. Can you imagine the boy thinking all the way home, what's dad going to say? And all of a sudden he sees this guy, robe hiked, running down the lane. He goes, that's my dad. What in the world is he doing? And he runs and the Bible says it doesn't even stop there. He now runs, he throws his arm around and he kissed him. And the word literally means he kissed him over and over and over again. Now think about it. This boy stinks. He's been in the pigs. He didn't say, whoo, boy, you go take a bath, and then we'll talk about welcoming you home. He loved him. He hugged him. Think about this. If all those neighbors were wanting to throw rocks at him, and they threw a rock at his son, who are they going to hit first? They're going to hit dad. Dad's in my son's home. I love him. I can't believe that he would come. And the son, that wasn't quite what he expected, to be received back after all that he had done to hurt his dad. What incredible love. Verse 21 the son starts his little speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, that was important for him to say. It was important for the father to hear. He had to express that repentance to get it out. But before he could get to the point of, so just make me one of your servants, the father stops him. And look, verse 22, and he goes, his extravagance keeps going. Verse 22, the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet. Okay, I had to get these props, okay, just to help you understand. He got robes, okay. Now, this one is mine, by the way, and it's got a big, um, okay, S for Switzer, of course. That's what it means, all right, okay. He got a robe. He got the, he got the sandals. Okay, now, he needed those. He probably didn't have any much clothes left. 
He probably hadn't been wearing shoes for a while. But why would he need a ring? This is my wife's engagement. No, I'm just kidding, okay? <laughs> why, would he need, why would he need a ring? All of these things were necessary, but all three of these, including the ring, signified something more than just you need a robe. It signified you're still my son. I love you. You belong in this family. You, that robe is a sign of, 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 the, of the sonship. These shoes, servants didn't wear shoes, but you're going to wear shoes because you're my son. And this ring signifies who you belong to. You're, the, you're, you're part of my family. And then he goes on to say, and bring out the fattened calf and kill him. Okay, so here's what you got to do. I, I love this. I love the people who help me with this, by the way. Okay, so <laughs> off with the pig, on with the cow. Right what I'm saying? Okay. Yes, I did that, by the way. Okay, he brings out the fattened calf, which means that calf would set aside. The reason it was fattened is it was set aside for a special purpose. Do you think possibly that's the whole reason the dad was fattening that calf is I just can't wait till my son comes home. That may have been the cow meant for his son the whole time. He said, remember that cow we got set up? Go get him. My son is home. You keep reading in the story, the son of mine that was dead is alive he that was lost is found, and they begin to celebrate. Now, you've got to think, folks, all of this stuff, the people listening to this story had to be just not only amazed, perhaps dumbfounded about the way this story twisted. That's not the way it should go. Everyone knew that after what the son disgraced his father, said, I wish you were dead, did all those that left, squandered everything, in fact, took some of his father's livelihood and wasted it, and now he comes back and dad should be mad. Dad should say, don't come back, I don't want to see your face again. And dad pulls out the cow and the robe and the ring, and he said, my son is back. That kind of love and grace is unthinkable. That kind of love and grace is beyond what human can, can, beings can understand. What a, what a beautiful story. Now here's what I know. A lot of people often stop right there with this story. But I want to remind you of something. The first verse that we read, Jesus is telling the story, and he said there was a man who had how many sons? Two sons. Okay, the story's been about dude here and all that he went through and now he's back and dad's happy. But if you keep reading in this story, verse number 25, meanwhile, you could say meanwhile back on the ranch because there was another story going on here. Meanwhile, the Bible says, the older son was in the field. When he came near, he heard the music and dancing. He called one of the servants. What's going on? He said, and your, he said, your brother's come home. Your father's killed a fattened calf and he's come back safe and sound. Now here's what we know of the brother. The older brother was doing his job. He was out in the field dutifully doing what he does, and he never stopped, and he was working. He comes in sweating, and all he hears is the party's going on, and they're celebrating. He tries to find out why. Now, I don't know, but my guess is there probably was a little bit of sibling rivalry. If there wasn't th at the beginning, there was now, because older brothers, younger brothers kind of have that thing. I know. How many, younger, how many of the babies in the family? How many babies out there? Yeah. Okay, we always get a bad rap, don't we? Because, like, as if we're spoiled or something. I just don't get that, okay? And so you know this was going on. The, the older son had said, oh, the little brother, and there's just all this come back. Well, now he comes back to find out all, this, all that we have in the middle of all this, and his little brother's getting a party? After what he did to dad? After all this stuff he took and how he hurt everything, and he's giving him a party? Verse number 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. 
So his father went out and pleaded with him. Here's what I want you to note from that last phrase. And that is, notice where the son is. He's not in with the father. Oh yes, he's, he's in the, on the ranch, but he's not in the house with dad. Dad has to go outside to him, and he refuses to join him. Remember, home is not just a place. Home is a relationship. And at this point, this older brother refuses this relationship with dad because he doesn't agree with dad's words. He goes on, he said, look, dad, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed you. And you never even gave me a young goat, let alone a fatted calf. But, but listen to his words. He's not so much different than his little brother. He said, but here he's saying, dad, I did all this for you, but I didn't want to. I did it because I had to. I slaved for you all these years. I've been working so hard. I've been doing my job, and you didn't give me anything. That's not a whole lot different than the little son. I, I need it, Dad. You need to give me. Why didn't I get any of this stuff? It was still all about him. It was still all about what he just thought he deserved. In verse 31, when this story closes, my son, the father, said, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Okay, so we have the story of the two sons, all these things that we've talked about. Jesus was telling this story to teach a lesson. So today, I want to, as we wrap this up, let's, what is it that Jesus was teaching us about coming home? Let me give you some observations. Make sure you get this as we walk through. The first one is this. There are two sons, and they're both separated from the father. Now, the reason this is significant is if you go back to chapter 15 and verse number 1, he's trying to show us that these two sons represent two groups of people. And both of these two groups, they're, in, they're identified in the first two verses of chapter 15. He talks about the tax collectors and the sinners, and they were gathering around to hear Jesus. So Jesus was talking, and here are and tax collectors and sinners. That would be, give it whatever word you want, low life or or people that were disrespected, or people that society would not consider much honor, honor in them, especially the religious crowd didn't like who they were, what they did, and didn't like their choices. So they literally called them sinners, right? That's the word they used. And he said, but not only that, the verse 2 says, but there were also Pharisees and teachers of the law, and they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. There was two groups of people there. You have the sinners, and you have the religious people, and they're both listening. And Jesus now tells a story. And all those sinners identified with that younger brother immediately. They knew, yeah, that's us. Defiantly, we just do what we want to do. We've kind of gone our own way. We kind of ignored everything. We've, but, but here's what they began to realize, yeah, and we've been ashamed. We've been hungry. We've been empty. We don't, we, it didn't work. We don't really have anything to show for it. We get that. So the younger brother is this group of people, and they, they understood. They were just, they're hanging on Jesus' words. Is that grace really possible? We don't deserve anything. We get it. We're, we're kind of at the end of the rope here. But are you saying that maybe there's hope for us? And then you have on the other side these Pharisees and teachers, and maybe they didn't realize it, but Jesus was saying, and you guys are like that older brother. You, you got it all. You're doing all the right things. You're respected. You're, you're working hard. 
but you're doing it for God, not because you love him or because you want to, because you feel like this is what you have to do. And maybe if I work hard enough, I can make my way into the kingdom and I can get things done. And I can, I can, uh, God's got to come at the end. He's got to eventually let me in because of all the work I've been doing and how far I've been. But here's what you've got to understand. Whether you're the older brother or the younger brother, whether they, they consider you, you're defiant, you run away from God, or you're, you're even religious and you're moral, here's what the point of the story is. Both of them are separated from the Father. At one point, the younger son is in a distant country. The older boy is here, but he isn't in a house with dad. The point of the story is, no matter who you are and what you are, there is a, there is a point of separation, and that's what, that's what Jesus is trying to get. It wasn't, it wasn't just, be nice to your little brother, son, but, but son, I want you to have this relationship with me, and, and he wasn't doing it. Second thing is, the extravagant father wants them both to come home. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. He said, listen, I want you to come to this relationship with me. The Father, the true hero, that's God himself. This is a picture of the Heavenly Father. And now to all people in the world, he wants them to come. He wants them to come back to him. The attitude towards the younger brother who, who destroyed and ruined all of dad's stuff is, but I love you and I will take you back. But, but some people would say, oh, that they're not worth it. Leave them alone. And God says, but I love them. But then there's some who would say, but those, those religious, stuffy, hypocritical Pharisees, Jesus should have nothing to do with them. He said, wait, but I love them too. I don't care if you've got a snooty attitude, I still love you. Or if you're down deep in sin, I still love you. Here's what we learn from this story. Every person matters to God. Every one of you in this room, you matter to God. No matter who you are, what you've been, what you've done, whether you think you're all that in a bag of chips or you just realize you're nothing. You matter to God. And that's the point of the story. Is that Jesus says, I, I want them all to come home. The last observation is, each son then has a decision to make. The, the younger boy gets away, and, and what does the verse say? He came to his senses. He realized, me doing life my way, it doesn't work. But the only way that I'm going to change is if I go back to the Father. I've tried my way and it ended up with pigs. I've got to go back to Dad if I want to get hope. So he's got a decision to make. He came to his senses, but you can come to your senses and still not make the right decision. You can wake up and say, oh, this is horrible. But until you say, and I'm willing to say, Father, forgive me and go back, it still doesn't change. He had a decision to make. Came to his senses, fantastic, but until he got up and went back to dad and said, dad, I'm a sinner, forgive me, it didn't change anything. So he has a decision to make. Now the story, he made the right one. But here's the other, other part of this. We have an older brother, the Pharisees, the teacher. They too have a, a decision to make. Sometimes it almost seems easier for those who in sin to make that decision because they realize I got nothing. Sometimes religious, moral people, they, they get all brazen and they're like, well, I don't, I don't know who you're talking to, but I don't think I need this God thing. I'm, I've been a good person. I'm moral. God's not going to send me to hell. He's going to weigh out my good and bad, and I'm going to be just fine. And they have more trouble sometimes than those. And, and here's the point. Jesus said, I want you all to come home, but you've got a decision to make. Are you going to come to the Father? Are you going to accept my grace? Are you going to, in fear of all, the, all these things that you could be because you're, you're stubborn, because you fear rejection. The, the boy had to feel like dad won't have, whether, whatever it is, what, what is stopping. But here's the in, interesting thing about this story. I read the last verse, which means this story ends with a cliffhanger. 
So what happened with the older brother? Did he come back? Did he accept dad's invitation? And Jesus closed the book and stopped. No, 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 no. You can't do that, Jesus. What happens to the younger boy? Does he stay good? Does he stay in the... What about the older brother? Does he ever take your invitation and come back? We don't know. And he's looking at those people in that room and he's saying, they had a decision to make. And that decision becomes a difference between coming home or not. What are they going to do with that decision? Folks, if you haven't figured it out already, that's the question I want to ask you today. What do you do with this information? Because you see, this story was, was told to a group of people, two groups actually, and it, they kind of encompass the whole world. Defiant against God, or maybe don't even sure you believe in God, and those who, oh yes, I am a good moral person, but neither one of them are home with the Father. Represents so many, and, and here's the point that we come back to. If you're separated from the Father, it's time to come home. You know, maybe we should say when you're separated, right? Because I believe that at some point, and here, here becomes the point we want to, I want to just bring it home to us. At some point, every one of us is separated from the Father. Every one of you in this room at some point, either has been or is currently separated from the Father. At some point. That's the reality of this thing. The reality of this story is it hits every one of us. You could be the publican and sinner group, the younger brother group. You could be the older brother group. You, you're younger, you realize the emptiness, and you're just, you need something, and the life just isn't what you, and it, where's the purpose, where's all this? Or, you know, I, I'm keeping the law, I'm keeping the rules. Still doesn't seem very fulfilling, but I'm going to do what I have to do, and I'm going to make sure it all works, and, and all, but it's still, or maybe you're a combo of both, or maybe you've been in one or both places throughout your life. Here's the point. At some point, every one of us is separated from the Father. But don't miss this. The official lesson of this story is the Father wants every one of us to come home. The Father, just like he did for both brothers, gives an invitation for us to come. L let, me, let me throw out a, a couple of verses. That we understand from 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, John writes this, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Wow, I love that word lavished. It's actually the same kind of idea as the word prodigal. What kind of lavish prodigal love has the Father given to us that he call us his children, call us his sons, make us part of his family? Well, how did he do it? What does lavish love look like from God Almighty? The God who created it, what does that kind of lavish love look like? Extravagant love. Well, I'll remind you of a verse. John 3 and verse 16 explains it perfectly. For God so lavishly loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's extraordinary love. You have one amazing act, and that is God giving his son, and that was his son dying for your sins, dying for my sins, and rising again to bring power to this, to, to this whole order of salvation. One amazing act. God gave his son, and there's one amazing offer. That's for whoever believes, and there's one incredible result. They will have eternal life. You want to talk about lavish love? It's a God who looks at us, loves us just the way we are, and says, I gave my son for you. I want you to come home. 
In fact, the book of 2 Peter, Peter writes this, the Lord is not slow. In other words, sometimes, you you don't have to admit this, but sometimes we look around at all the craziness around us. God, why do you allow this crazy people to continue? Here's why. No matter how crazy you think they are, look at this. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to it. doesn't matter how crazy you may think they are. God still loves them. From the, the little the kid in school to the terrorist across the, the sea, God still loves them. And as long as they're alive, there's a place for them to repent. Oh, that doesn't sound right because every person matters to God. And he wants everyone to come home. Regardless of who you are or what you've done, Regardless of whether you're now a follower and maybe you've walked away and you're not following him now, the father is still saying, son, I love you. I want you. Daughter, I love you. I want you home. Everyone, the the point is this, and Paul actually makes it even more clear, Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you seeing a trend here? Whoever believes, everyone, God wants them to be saved, and everyone who calls will be saved. God makes it very clear. Yes, all of us are separated at some point. And when you're separated, it's time to come home. And God wants all of us, every one of us, to come home. And he's made a way for that to happen. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ. Last question for today is this. What's keeping you from coming home? Could it be fear? Fear of rejection? Fear of don't think that anybody really wants me could it be disbelief i'm not even sure all of this really is true could it be the guilt and the shame of if you just knew what i did i tell you again god does know what you did last summer and every summer before that god knows he loves you anyway send his son to die for you anyway maybe it's at the point of defiance and stubbornness well i just I think I'm happy the way I am, and I just don't really want this. And the Father's saying, dude, you don't know what you're missing. You're separated from me. I, I'm inviting you home, and our nature gets in. I just, uh, I'm, I'm never going to admit that I need help or that I want help. Or maybe it's self-reliance saying, I'm just going to work a little bit harder, and I'm going to try a little bit more, and I'm going to fix myself up, and I'm going to, and God is saying, you, do you understand? You're separated from me. It's time to come home. That's the only way you're going to find that hope and that peace. No relationship with the Father, or maybe you've been, you're a follower of Christ and you found yourself wandering some places you know you shouldn't go. Here's what I want you to understand. The Father wants you to come home. If you find yourself separated from the Father, it's time to come home. And I promise that's what you'll hear. Welcome home. That's what the Father wants us to know today.